and welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. Welcome back to the Dreamcast. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Stephanie Overturf. Born and raised in Palmetto, Florida, Stephanie is the co-owner, sales and marketing director of Overturf Floor and Fabric Care, a company she founded alongside her husband in 2008. The duo found a need in their community for a reputable service-oriented floor cleaning company who could provide outstanding service to high-end clients. After overcoming the difficult time of the recession, the couple worked to build a company which is now in its eighth year of operation and dominating the market. I'm really excited for you, our listeners, to hear Stephanie's story as she turned a tricky situation into a triumph. So Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Denise. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Well, I would love for our listeners just to begin by getting to know you a little bit. So why don't you start with your story? Okay, absolutely. Um, So like you said, I was born and raised in Palmetto, Florida, which is a small little town um, just south of Tampa, kind of in between Tampa and Sarasota, if you know where that is. But yeah, I've lived here my whole life. And um, from a young age, I was, you know, kind of, there were always difficult situations that seemed like whether it was from my parents and choices that they made. In fact, when I was probably, I think I was 11 years old, I ended up going to live with my grandparents on my my dad's parents because my mom and dad just, they couldn't take care of us. I have two sisters. So um, from an early age, you know, I was kind of dealing with like a lot of um, stressful situations that a typical kid of that age doesn't have to deal with or shouldn't have to. So um, I feel like that kind of really shaped a lot of who I am. It forced me to grow up and to kind of become a mature person at a young age. But it had its goods and bads. We were introduced to, you know, working hard. My grandpa has had a business here since 1975. He's in his late 70s and he still works hard every single day. Um, And so I feel like that really impacted me. Um, we were never allowed to say I'm bored. <laughs> that was horrible. If you said you're bored in my grandma's house, oh my God, she would find a million chores for you to do. So you never said that. So anyway, I kind of had it instilled in me at an early age to work hard. And so I think that's where my drive for our business now came from. But it also helped whenever I I got laid off because that's why we started the business. Um, in 2008, when the basically the whole country was going through the horrible recession, I was doing sales and marketing for our local newspaper. And um, I got laid off. And I couldn't find a job because unfortunately, no one was hiring salespeople, which in my mind didn't really make sense because you need more sales. So, But anyway, so um, I couldn't sit still at home. My, Like I described myself, I'm always doing things and I'm a hard worker. So I um, started cleaning houses and my clients would ask me if I knew a good carpet cleaner. They didn't want to hire a big chain or a franchise because of bad experiences that they'd had in the past with them. So at the same time, my husband was looking for something different. He had actually left his corporate job because of seeing the recession and the downsizing and things that were happening um, because um, of that. So he had already left his job. So he said, well, I actually used to help a friend clean carpet. I think we could maybe add this to what we're doing. 
or find a way to provide that service for your house cleaning clients. So long story short, we started doing that. We added that service. And um, my clients had my cell phone number because they were calling me at first to schedule the carpet. So it was really funny as the company started to grow because I would be scrubbing a shower and my phone would ring. So I'd have to jump out, dry my hands off, get out all of the paperwork, our schedule, all of that stuff. And thank you for calling Overturf's Floor and Fabric Care and take a phone call. So it kind of got to be where we had to like see, you know, something has to give. I can't keep doing this and scheduling because this side of the business is growing. So anyway, probably in like 2014, I want to say, we let all of the house cleaning go. Um, as clients would discontinue service or whatever, I just wouldn't replace them until we strictly just do carpet, tile and grout, upholstery, and oriental and fine area rug cleaning. And so here we are. Wow. Amazing. So you were working, you were doing sales, the recession hit, and you, instead of seeing the problem, focused on, okay, what can I do? You know, I'm not going to sit here and do nothing. So what can I control? What can I do? And you started cleaning houses, which then evolved. And what's so cool is that it's not necessarily like you had this passion for carpets your whole life and wanted to change the world one carpet at a time. (laughs) And maybe you do now, but it evolved as you kept taking steps in one direction. So tell us a bit about how the first few years were for you and your business, Mm -hmm. learning curves, or maybe a hurdle you went through. Yeah. And that's a good point. What you said, you know, you're kind of just like, yeah, I didn't see, Oh, look at all this dirty carpet out there. I can clean. I need to make a change. No. Um, in fact, I mean, I like cleaning house. I like cleaning my own house, but like to do someone else's, that was not my passion. But um, my husband and I were just having a conversation about this the other day. We were saying how no matter what the business is, like I'm passionate about business now. I'm passionate about like marketing and seeing like we literally grew this company from nothing. It was non-existent to now we have 10 employees. And it's like that to me is what I like. So I don't know what we'll do with this business. If Obviously, we're going to keep growing it. But you know, whether we sell it or not in the future, I'll probably always do something. And so that I'm just passionate about business. You know, that being said, the first few years were kind of rough because we were doing all of the work. Like, and that was really stressful. It's physical work. Um, You're working all day and then you come home and you have more work to do because you've got the uh, admin side of things. You've got appointments to put on the books. You've got paperwork, all of that kind of thing. So for the first few years, we were kind of like stressed out slaves to the business. And we really didn't even look at it like a business at first, I think, because it was basically just to make ends meet. We didn't really see ourselves doing it forever. So as it started to grow, and we hit that kind of like point of pain where we needed help, but we weren't, we were kind of like could use help, but we weren't ready to hire a full time person. It was kind of like during that moment that we had to decide if we wanted to make this a business. And if we did, then how were we going to do that? So those first few years can be difficult because you're doing all of the work and you're really not making a lot of money at first because of just the way it's set up. So thankfully, um, we were able to kind of make the decision that yes, we were going to turn it into an actual business. Um, We hired a business coach who really helped us 
um, put systems in place. We created like employee manuals, wrote systems for every single thing before we actually even had an employee. So we were ready once we made that hire. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. true. They often say the first two to three years, you might not see the fruit of all of your labor yet in for order sure. to get it off the ground. You have to be a bit obsessed. Like it has to be your life. Um, essentially they mm-hmm. say, you know, you can think about airplane in order to get it off the runway, it has to create momentum. So you have to go fast while you're on the ground. So then you can kind of coast when you're up in the air. So for a few years, you were obsessed, then you had to be, (laughs) but then you made the transition for getting help. But what I love is that you were a bit proactive. And instead of just hiring a bunch of employees and just kind of figuring it out as you go, you Mm -hmm. did create the system, asked for help. What was that? What, What other things did you do to prepare? Um, you know, the scary part about the scariest thing I think about getting employees is not having work for them. And I think that I hear that a, I hear that a lot from people. They're like, well, what do you do if you don't have, you know, something on the schedule for them? And I remember asking someone that um, myself at the first conference we went to with our business coach, because we hadn't hired anyone yet. And she was like, I don't know. We just figure it out. They mow the lawn. They do this. They do that. You know, and she's like, it's inevitable. It's crazy. Inevitably, something always comes in for them to do. And it's true. It's, I don't know, like, I'll probably say some weird things on this podcast. And if you're not like in tune with energy and things like that, I don't know, it might sound a little woo woo to you, but like, I believe in the law of the vacuum. And I think that, which it says, like, if there's something there that is empty, the universe is going to find a way to fill it. For instance, if you clean out your closet and you get rid of clothes that you don't wear anymore, eventually that is going to get filled again because there's a vacuum there. And it's the same thing in our business. Like if you have an employee sitting here or you have a van ready to go, inevitably the universe is going to send something there to fill it. So when I started realizing that and just kind of like having faith that it would be taken care of and not stressing out about that, um, that really made a huge difference because then it wasn't so scary to get people and the work comes in. It's crazy. Like, yes, we do a lot of advertising, marketing. We're always doing things to bring it in. But it just, I don't know, it just seems to happen. So I love that. And I've seen that over and over again in my own life. Mm-hmm. Sure, the fear pops up. I'm sure it still does. But when you are so focused on the faith, things figure itself out. Yep, they do. Awesome. Okay, so growing pains of starting to hire, you are creating systems and manuals and lots of detail type things to Mm -hmm. make it go smoothly once they're there. Now that you have a team, how do you keep them motivated, keep them focused, work to create a positive culture? That's a great question because yeah, so we started hiring people and it was like, okay, so how do we keep these people? We don't want them to leave now that we've got them trained. So um, we do a lot of a lot of things. Actually, one of the biggest things, believe it or not, was um, trying to create a sense of community. So um, just like me, I I realized, you know, my childhood was it kind of sucked. <laughs> and a lot of people out there, theirs did too. And like, I realized a lot of our employees, you know, they're, they're younger, they're like in their 20s. And yeah, a lot of them have family, but they also didn't have it. So like, they didn't have this perfect like white picket fence childhood either. So they're looking for a community 
as well. So I think that that's probably once we realized that and started doing things to make it feel like a family here. Like we have um, a morning meeting every day. We actually sit down and we have like a um, 10 minute teaching Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, so everyone's, you know, kind of in here, they get here early, they're talking, whatever. And then we have our meeting. And then on Wednesdays, we actually do um, a longer team training, which is usually like 30, 45 minutes. And I bring breakfast for everybody. I make breakfast, whatever. And we're all eating together. And there's something that eating together and food does for people. Um, it kind of takes them back to childhood or makes them think of family, whatever. But I feel like when we started doing that kind of stuff, like that made a huge difference because they felt like this was um, a safe place, their family community, even though it's work. So yeah. that's well, one of the biggest things. Yeah. That's awesome. So I hear you saying you're adding value. You're, you're more, you're more, you're not just delegating a task and saying, go do it, but you're working to fill them up and, and teach mm-hmm. them a skill and to help them get better. And we know as people get better, everybody wins, but yet you're working hard to create commun- connection points. Like, you know, I think it's it's easy to think community will just happen on its own uh, because people will see each other and they'll say hi and they'll be friendly. But that's not really true. In order yeah. to develop authentic relationships, you need to create space for that. And your morning meetings and breakfast times create the space for connection and also a safe place for people to let down their guard, to joke, to hang out, and to truly get to know each other. When I was working at my... Um, clinical psychology job years ago, one time they said, you know, we're not just sharing outlets, you know, we're not just sitting next to each other. Like we truly are working together and we are a cohesive unit. And when that, when employees come in and they feel like they're connected to something bigger than themselves, then they often stay. Yeah, they do. And I mean, we do other things too. Like, of course, you know, we do like a Christmas party and stuff like that, but like, you know, one of the guys just had an anniversary with us and he loves this one kind of um, potato chip. Like he's obsessed with them. <laughs> They're kettle cooked mesquite barbecue chips, right? So, you know, and I like crunchers, barbecue chips. And so like there's, this, you know, competition thing. Well, anyway, it was his um, anniversary. So like we just, and he loves Gatorade. So we got him like a bunch of Gatorade and like a bunch of these bags of chips, you know, I mean, and just kind of, I feel like stuff like that, like, you know, even the fact that you remember that somebody likes that kind of of item or whatever it is, just something stupid or a little like that, like it makes a difference because it shows that you care. Um, and it's in addition, you know, stuff like that. But also, you know, we have um, contests like this month, we have a pop a balloon contest. So the technicians who has the highest number of upsells for the week gets to pop a balloon and inside the balloon has a different type of gift card with a different amount on it that they win. So, you know, we do we try to do like some sales contests and stuff too, to keep them engaged. Cause I mean, yes, we're a community, we're a family, but we're also a business. So like we, you know, we have to keep that in mind too. So we do things like that to keep them engaged as well. That's great. And I know you weren't a business owner before you did this. So these are just things that you've learned. You've absorbed from asking questions, talking to your business coach and working with other entrepreneurs. How else did you learn this stuff? Um, Google. <laughs> a lot of Googling. Yeah, especially with the sales contest, because 
I run out of ideas and I'm like, hmm, that one didn't really go over so well. What can I do this month? You know? So I mean that kind of thing. But also I asked them one of our operations manager, I asked him one day because some contests seemed to be popular and others didn't. And so I actually just said, you know, Hey, how come some of these you guys love? And some of them, I feel like you don't even care about when the, I mean, you still have potential to win at the same prize. And he's like, well, we liked ones uh, where it's a team win, which I thought was really interesting because I was like, Oh, okay. So they didn't like, um, the individual like competitive side of it. They liked if we all do a good job, we all win something. I was like, okay, well that kind of opened my eyes, you know, like, well, I'll do more contests like that then. So actually asking them what they liked. Yeah, it is interesting because when you are a family, there may be this sense of, I don't want to take it away from someone else or I don't want to gloat or, you know, whatever it is. (laughs) But when we all win, we all win. That's really cool. Yeah, well, that was good. But then like to the other side of things, like, yeah, that was, that was like for the sales contest stuff. But as far as business, I mean, just a lot of, a lot of reading. I mean, there's so many books and podcasts like this and just like, there's so many people out there who have already done it. And it's like, just copy them, like listen to it, read their books, look up the information and take their advice and learn from them. Cause we all, I feel like sometimes we're all like, Oh, I don't want to just do what they did. You know, I need to figure it out on my own. And it's like, no, they are telling you step by step how they did this and it worked. So just copy it. So a lot of learning from other people who've already done it. I think a lot of times people won't even try something because they don't deem themselves an expert or worthy or, you know, they just are like, well, I don't know about that. But honestly, anything and everything can be learned these days. If you want to learn it, there's a book, there's a podcast, there's a YouTube channel, there's something out there that can teach you. What were your favorite books in those early years? Um, So definitely the best one for any entrepreneur is The E-Myth from Michael Gerber. Um. Because that really like that really will open your eyes as far as some people are an entrepreneur, but they don't realize that they're like at this point of pain where they are a slave to their business. Um, and he kind of helps you open your eyes as far as that and then figuring out how to put systems in place. So definitely that book, um, learning from people like for me, my personality type, I'm very um, unorganized. By nature, like we're not at my desk right now because it's kind of embarrassing. So I'm just not organized. So I like to learn. Like we've gone to a lot of um, seminars from like John Maxwell and Brian Tracy, and they um, have some books out there that have goal setting, showing you how to plan your day. I forget the one from Brian Tracy. It's something about like I think there's frog in the title. Um, frog. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So teaching you how to be more organized. Um, Zig Ziglar has been huge. Actually, I don't, it's kind of a different topic than business, but it's related to business because like his books about um, born to win and see you at the top. Those, those are changed, really changed my life actually, when it comes to like self-esteem and confidence to being able to run a business. Yeah. It sounds like not only did you have to learn the business side of things, but you became a CEO, you became a manager, you became HR, you had to develop yourself and even your self-identity to say, okay, I'm the CEO. This is what CEOs do. 
So right. what would you say has been like a big aha moment or learning experience you had throughout your journey? Actually kind of um, tying in with what you were just saying, cause you're, you're a hundred percent nail on the head. Like you go from being a technician because you're doing all of the work to being a manager. Now you've got a manager in place. You're the director, whatever you want to call it. So each, each time we grow or each time the business grows, we have to grow. And I think that that's one of the biggest challenges because like to just grow yourself into that is not easy. Like that's why the books are so important in the reading and um, energy and like release work and stuff like that, because you actually have to change your belief and your mindset that you can actually do this. Or sometimes you'll find yourself holding, you'll be holding yourself back from growing because you're afraid to step into that position. So overall, I think that that's one of the probably the hardest, biggest challenges that we go through because it seems to happen all of the time as you're growing the business. What are like some, every time you're you're doing that? Yeah, and it's something you you have to break through over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You think you did a lot of hard work, or you grew in an area, and then I'm sure months or a year later, you're like, okay, got to bust through another one. What are some breakthroughs that you've had that took your business to a, another level? Um, a couple I can think of. So at first, I thought that I was the only one who could answer the phone. Um, no one can answer it as well as I did or schedule and close jobs. And, you know, so I feel like I held us back a little bit from growing because I didn't, I was holding on to that. And then it was interesting. I did this. So then I got a phone person and I let go of that. Well, I did the same thing when it came to marketing because we do a lot of, um, what we call referral source marketing. So we're out and about in the community a lot, visiting places that can refer business to us. And it was the same thing when it came time to replace myself in that um, in that position. Like I felt the same way. Like nobody can do it. I, I'm the one who has to do this. But I realized it was because I had this fear of not being needed. And so once I realized that and could let that go and release that to the universe and just, you know, I don't need to feel needed. That's not what identifies me as being... Um, What's the word? That's not what makes me, me. That's not my identity. So those were probably some of the biggest things realizing that I was holding our company back because I felt like I needed to be needed. That's so interesting. And you have to be aware first, because a lot of times we do so many things unconsciously or subconsciously, mm-hmm. not unconsciously, then we would be like <laughs> subconsciously, like we don't realize it. Mm-hmm. And so first comes the self-awareness of, okay, something's not going according to plan or something's blocking. And then you get to move through it. Do you have any other stories like that? Um, definitely with the, um, like the sales numbers, you know, um, I was thinking about this last night when I knew I'd be doing this call today. A lot of people, sometimes you find yourself like making a certain amount of money per year. And it's like, I want to make more than that. Why am I not making more than this? Um, what I don't understand why there's not more opportunity or why I can't get past this certain level of income, whether it's 50,000 a year or 100,000 a year. So something I think is interesting is um, sometimes we hold ourselves back because maybe our parents only made a certain amount. Maybe your parents only made like 
55,000 a year. So if you make more than them and you're making more than that subconsciously, it's one of those things. And in the now you're not, you're like, I would never think that that's stupid. Why would I hold myself back? They don't care if I make more money than them, but it's a internal, like subconscious, deeply deep down thing that you have to let go of. And I, I think for both my husband and myself, um, he grew up very poor. His family had very little, anything he wanted, he had to work and save to get. My family, we weren't like really poor, but it was like we were being taken care of by other people most of the time. And I think that had an impact on me. So all of these things that create our belief system when we're little and we're kids and teenagers, it carries over into adulthood. And I think that if you find yourself in a position where you can't get past this certain point, maybe it's time to evaluate those kinds of feelings because that could be holding your income thermometer down. And it's crazy. Once you let it go, you'll, the next month you'll make, I don't in your industry, maybe like 20,000 in commission or something. I don't know, something crazy. And you're like, man, why couldn't I do that before? But it's because you've let go of that emotion and what's holding you back. I, I think that. our childhoods and our belief systems are shaped so strongly when we're kids. We're so, um, I have this crazy memory of this kid. Um, I jumped off of a trampoline one time. I was maybe like eight years old and he called me stupid. He was like, you're so stupid. Why'd you do that? And for the longest time, like I had that suppressed and I didn't like think it affected me. Well, for some reason it did. And I'm like, he didn't even mean anything like mean by it, but there's so many things like that over our childhood that really impact us. And Um, I think when we can realize it and accept that we can actually release it to the universe and get rid of those emotions that it can have a huge impact on the way we feel our self-esteem, but also on our income. Mm -hmm. I heard a quote one time that said, you can never out earn your mindset. And so one way to grow your income is to grow your belief because we often cap ourselves, don't we? Yes, for sure. So what words of wisdom would you have for somebody who's wanting to start their own business or go in a new direction? So I made some notes with this one because that was a great question. Um, So for us, unfortunately, well, I say unfortunately, but maybe fortunately, because if I had to plan it out, I don't know if I would have done it. But if you are planning it out, um, I would definitely do a few things differently. I would make a plan. I would make a marketing plan. Who are you going to market to? And also what makes me different? If I'm, if I'm going to start a business, I need to have some kind of USP, a unique selling proposition of what makes me different from all the other people out there who do it. Um, so once you know that, then I would make a marketing plan as far as who my ideal target customer is. Um, and who can send me those kinds of clients. And then I would try to market to those people. I would also make a budget. I would figure out how long I'm going to give myself to before I start making money versus um, a schedule of how long I'm going to give myself for this business to start making money. Whether that's, you know, what did you say earlier? Like three years or something is mm-hmm. the number for people. Um, and then also like, when will I add employees? So I would, I would definitely try to plan those things out. We didn't have that luxury. We just kind of had to figure it out as we went. But if you're 
starting from scratch, I would definitely, I think the most important things are figure out what makes you different, what your unique selling proposition is, and who can send you those clients. Because number one, when you start a business is getting sales, because nothing happens in a business until a sale is made. So, and I've met people who start a business and they're at home, like, you know, doing all of this data and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, you, you don't have any clients yet. Like you need to be out marketing and selling <laughs> to get some clients coming in. So um, those would be probably the first two things I would do. So what would you say is your unique selling proposition? And then who is your referral? Like who do you network with to get referrals? Sure. So our unique selling proposition is, so like, have you ever called a service company, whether it's like a plumber, electrician, carpet cleaner, whatever, Um, A lot of times they don't answer the phone. They don't call you back. And if they do, they show up when they show up. Sometimes they show up late. Um, They show up not looking so professional. And sometimes they just do kind of a crappy job. And if you try to call them because you're unhappy, they don't call you back. So for us, we knew we could be different than that. Unfortunately, in our industry, that is the stigma. That's the reputation a lot of carpet cleaners have. So our guys show up on time in uniform, clean, sober, ready to work, and they look professional. They wear name tags, uniform. We give a one hour window. So our clients aren't at home for half of a day wondering what time we're going to show up. Um, and we 100% guarantee our work. So if someone's not happy, we'll come back out, reclean. And if they're still not happy, we'll give them their money back. So just in a nutshell, those are some of the, the unique selling proposition. Um, and then our ideal client is someone who owns their home and doesn't mind investing to protect their floors and fabrics, doesn't mind spending a little bit of money to keep their stuff looking nice. Um, so we market a lot with flooring stores. A good referral source for us is a flooring store, realtors, designers, um, things like that. People who are in direct contact with our target market. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, and when you have thought about that, I mean, it's obvious you guys have thought about that and then you take action in that. It gives you a clear path to follow because now your eyes are always open for real estate agents, designers, floor people who can give you a direct recommendation. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, we have a decorator that has helped us with buying furniture and, you know, hanging things on walls and all of that kind of stuff. And whenever I need some work done, I ask her because I know her. And the power of the referral is still one of the best places to uh, to make those connections. So absolutely. Cool. Referrals are key. All right. Is there anything else you want to add before we close out today? Um, I guess I would just say, you know, if you're new into business or new into marketing a product or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, just don't get discouraged. Don't, you know, don't give up because it's not easy. And if it was easy, everybody would do it, but not everybody is cut out to be an entrepreneur. You know, um, some people are just employees and that's great because you need them. (laughs) So, um, just don't give up and just look for, always be looking for ways you can better yourself. And, um, the last thing I'll mention is one of the, one of your questions was, what's one thing you do every day that you couldn't live without? And I definitely think positive affirmations. I, every night before I, before I go to bed, I try to do it in the morning, but sometimes I'm running late, but de- definitely at least before I go to bed at night, I look at my affirmations and affirm those to myself, write them out, 
and my goals the same thing. Um, I read a new thing right now. I'm reading a book called The Aladdin Factor by Mark Victor Hansen and John Can or Jack Canfield. And in one of the stories in there, the lady said, basically, she coined this term and she said, I create, promote, and allow. And that's like my, become my mantra for this year. I'm saying it all the time. So I'm creating something, I'm going to promote it and I'm going to allow it to happen. So do that for your business, create it, promote it, and then allow it to come to you. Awesome. All right. I've got one last question um, to end. And I have read the Aladdin factor as well. And it, it, I grew brain cells, like it blew my mind, some of the stories. And I thought, why didn't I think of this before? But that's yeah. why we grow because there's always something to learn. Yeah. Um, so for those that are listening that are saying, okay, I want to grow my income. And I know I'm probably holding myself back, but I don't even know what that means or where to get started or how to identify what that could be. What are some of your favorite personal development books, things that you've done to help break through your own? Uh, personal glass ceiling. Okay, so that's a, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, the biggest thing is something called EFT, and it's emotional freedom technique. Um, that was where I started, and I still use it even now. If I get a headache, what? Why am I having? What's the emotional reason I have this headache? And then I tap it out. You tap on pressure points and release it. And it works. It's crazy. Um, sometimes you'll come up with stuff too. And you're like, really? I haven't even thought about that since I was like 10 years old or that happened when I was five. And, but it's crazy. This stuff still affects you. So, um, definitely look up. I mean, there's a lot of work out there. There are Facebook pages for EFT. Um, I actually know someone here locally in Lakewood Ranch who is a certified hypnotist. And so she's, she's also does EFT and she's helped us a lot with releasing and energy work. So finding a place, if you're open to it, um, and it's not weird, you know, it's, it's really not, it's getting in touch with who you are inside and finding out what these emotional, what the emotional connection is to something. And for me, the biggest way was through EFT. Awesome. You know, I, uh, spent time with Jack Canfield. I did his train the trainer oh, program in 2016. And so EFT was a big part of what they taught us. And what's cool, if you've never experienced it before, you really can learn it. And I'm sure there's books you can read it as well and learn the skills to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you find those te- pressure points and you tap on them, like you're, you really are it's kind of like doing your own acupuncture in a sense, like you're moving things around. And I remember my first experience was a huge release as well. So that's Mm -hmm. a a great idea for anyone who's really interested in getting started. Yeah. And do it. If you're going to try it, um, don't do it in public because you might cry. (laughs) Sometimes the releases can be, you know, if there's something that's really deep and you might have to do it a few times too. Like I had some that, you know, I just, constantly had to work on too, because they were so deep from my childhood or whatever. Um, but it's really easy to learn. You know, like you said, it's just basically tapping on the pressure points here, 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 here. So they won't be able to see you. Can you describe where you're? Oh, sorry. I thought it was video. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Go ahead. So basically like there's one, um, in between your eyebrows, um, if you, and you can feel it, it's sensitive there. So there's one in between your eyebrows. And there's one to the far side of your eyebrow, like at the end of your, your eye on both sides. 
Um, and then you have one underneath of your eye. And then there's one at the crease in the middle of your lip, kind of where it comes to a, a point in the middle. And then there's one on your chin, just in the same spot below the top of your mouth. So hopefully that makes sense. But if not, just yeah. Google it. <laughs> yeah, you can find it. What's so cool is after I learned this and the skill, I started seeing it. I saw Olympic runners on the track field in oh, awesome. whatever year it was a couple of years ago. I saw them tapping before they started their race. And I just thought this is becoming a bit more mainstream. People really are starting to learn uh, what it is that it works and we have the power to to heal ourselves. So we do. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for your business wisdom and your life wisdom. And I am excited to see how your company continues to grow over the next few years. Thank you, Denise. I really enjoyed this. 